again. Um, it is it is good to to be with y'all this this morning. I um I uh, I'm gonna pray. Let's 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 pray. Um, Father, um, we thank you this morning for for loving us so deeply and um, for forgiving us so much. And we admit together as your people that we are not worthy of you um, or anything that you have to offer. And um, But we do declare and proclaim and rest in the fact that um, our worth is thankfully not in ourselves, but it is in your Son. And um, we would just humbly ask today in his name that you would bless our time in your word, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes so that we could see you and hear from you and know you. Pray that you would give us sincere spirits, um, gentle spirits, um, eager spirits, um, and spirits that are earnestly just seeking after you. We know that when we we seek you, we find you. Uh, Just like that woman in the story we read earlier um, who traveled from an hour and a half from Philadelphia to get to know you better, Father. When when we eagerly want to know you, you make a way for us to know you. So today, please, free us from anything that would hinder us from knowing you. So that we could, we could grow from this time. We could become more like you. And um, be better equipped to do the things you've called us to do. So we love you. We thank you uh, for all that you are and do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so um, we're going to take the next... We're continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, but we are finally out of chapter 5, which is great. Um, took us a little while, but we are there. We're now into chapter 6, and over the next several weeks, we're going to look at the first 18 verses of chapter 6. And um, this, this is a, a, a great section. They're all wonderful, but this one... Um, it, this section specifically kind of phones in, uh, hones in on um, our living our faith in such a way um, that we do it for God to see and for, for His recognition and not for the recognition from people. Um, and uh, in these, these next three weeks, um, one, the first one today is going to be on, on giving, on giving alms and, and doing that for, for, for God to see. Next week will be on prayer, doing, doing that for Him to see. And the final week will be on fasting. And um, so I'm excited to, to kind of work through this, work through this with you. Um, I think what we're going to find is, as has been the case all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, here as well, um, that Jesus is not so much concerned with what what we're doing as why we're doing what we're doing. It's, it's the heart that's motivating us to do the things that we do. Uh, that he's, really, he's really kind of 
drilling down on. And, um, you know, we can do the right thing for good reasons, or we can do the right thing for wrong reasons. So, I, um, I love my wife. She's an amazing woman. Um, uh, she, she's just incredible. She's the best thing that has ever happened to me. And I, as a result, I, I love to express my love to her. I love for her to feel my love. I love for her to know that I love her. Um, uh, and so I can take her out on a date for those reasons. Like I can say, you know, honey, or I could buy her flowers for those reasons, which I should definitely do more, right? Um, so you can hold me accountable to that. Uh, <laughs> um, but... I can, all, I can do that to show her how much I love her, to, to express that to her, but I can also do those exact same things for her in order to build up points so that when I come to her in two weeks, I can say, you know, I'd really like a new television. And she will feel obligated to say, well, he's done all these things for me. I guess I should probably do this for him. We could do the, the right thing for the right reasons, but we can also do the right thing for the wrong reasons. God wants us to do the right thing, but to do it for the right reasons. That's what Jesus is getting at in in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. And we're going to look at the first four verses of that today, but he wants us to do good things, holy things, righteous things for the right reasons for him and not for ourselves. Too often we do them, we do it for the recognition of other people, but the reason we want the recognition of other people it's for ourselves. For us. So people will praise us for being such a good person. But this isn't God's desire. It's actually the antithesis of His plan for us. He says in verse 1, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. This is chapter 6, verse 1 of Matthew. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. We were, it's interesting there. He, do, he doesn't say you will have like kind of some of a reward or a little bit of a reward. Or, he says you will have no reward for it from my Father in heaven. None. We will receive nothing from God in regard to this type of living. Nothing. That isn't just... Here's the thing with this. is um, A few verses ago... Um, in Matthew chapter 5, we read the scripture says, Let our light shine before others that they may see our good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We've seen that that statement that Jesus gave in, in chapter 5, verse 16, is kind of contradictory to what we find in chapter 6. Chapter 6, we're going to find in, in, in these first four verses, it says that uh, when, we, when we give to those in need, we shouldn't even let our one hand know what the other hand is doing. It should be done, this stuff should be done in secret, prayer should be done in secret. Fasting, you should be careful to do it in such a way that others don't know you're doing it. Like, it's like, it seems to be the opposite message of what Jesus gave us just a few verses ago when he said to let our light shine before other people. But they're not contradictory. We need to be careful in, our, in discerning what, what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying in, in these verses. When we allow our light to shine in such a way that others see God in us, that's a good thing. That draws attention to him, not to to us. But when we do things to highlight our abilities, our skill set, our accomplishments, 
Then the attention comes to us, and that is a problem. And that's what Jesus is talking about in chapter 6. A heart that is committed to God, that loves Him and is submitted to Him, lives and acts in such a way that it gives God the glory and the recognition. And takes none of it for ourselves. A heart committed to the self is like a vacuum sucking up all the attention and accolade that can be had. Almsgiving, prayer, and fasting, these next three sections that we're going to be looking at in chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, are three acts of piety in Jewish life. The things that they were called to do that they did. And here in, in, in chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, Jesus uses these three acts of piety to highlight the point that he is making. And, and that is that our righteousness, our goodness, and its associated deeds are not for us or for men, but are for God. And that, this principle needs to be applied to all of life, all acts of piety, not just these three. So we must, through the power of God, preserve our intentions so that God gets the glory. And we are faithful to serve Him and not ourselves. As one Bible scholar has said, the ideal life which Jesus demands of those who are to enter His kingdom is tested by motive rather than outward act. It's the heart. So, what's going on in verses 2 to 4? Well, let's, let's read it. Let's look at it. So, um, Verses 2 to 4, we find this in Matthew chapter 6. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that, you are giving, so that your giving may be in secret. When your father who sees what is done in secret, then he will reward you. Trumpets and not allowing hands to know what the other hands are doing is meant to be hyperbolic. It's probably not meant to be taken literally. It's meant to make a point. It's meant to make a point. We should not engage in this act of piety, is, is what Jesus is saying, in order to receive accolades from other people. For the almsgiver, it's not an act meant for them, get the giving of alms, like the giving of money to the poor. And, and, and it's really not even an act that's meant for the person that's receiving the alms. I mean, yes it is, but in a sense, no it's not. Really, the, the, the heart behind it is, is to be faithful to God, to do what God has called us to do. Another Bible scholar said this. He said, this is the case of a hypocrite. He's a mere actor sounding a trumpet in the synagogue and in the streets to advertise his generosity and to secure glory of men. Such an expenditure of money and effort is not almsgiving. It is bargaining with the hope of selfish gain. When we give in such a way to draw attention from men, the attention we get from the men is our reward and fool, it's all we get. There's nothing more. And when we do this, we're a hypocrite. We're acting like something 
that we're not. We live as though we're giving because of our, lo- our love for God calls us to do such a thing. But really, it's just about us. It's not about Him. It's for our reputation so that we receive praise that makes us look and, and feel good. I, um, there's this, this word that is used here um, uh, in, in, this, in this section, um, in verse 2, it says that, um, truly I tell you, Jesus says, they, meaning the almsgiver who's doing it for themselves, have received their reward in full. And that word in full, in its original language, the, of the New Testament is Greek, it was Greek, and it's apeko. And um, the word actually was used specifically on a, a receipt. And when you saw that word on a receipt, it meant paid in full, meaning that you would like paid your bill. Everything was settled. You got the person who, who was charging you got everything that they were supposed to get, and it was done. The transaction was completed. And that's what Jesus is saying happens for us when we give in a way that we are a hypocrite, when we're giving as though it's for God, but it's actually for us, and people recognize us for what we give, he said, your account is paid in full at that point. It's done. I, you are owed nothing more. What you got from men is it, it's final, it's done. Nothing past that. Jesus, in, in this passage, draws this distinction between arbitrary and par- proper rewards. Hang with me for a minute. I think it's going to make sense. Um, if not, approach me afterward and I'll explain it more. But I think this is going to make sense. Um, arbitrary rewards are rewards that have no connection with the activity being conducted. Okay? So, like, an arbitrary reward would be like this. If my girls, Kate and Maggie, um, they're both in fifth grade, um, they're going into sixth grade next year, if I said to them as they're going into sixth grade, and this is never going to happen, girls, so don't hold your hopes up if you're paying attention. Um, if you go all the way through, through your senior year, and at the end of your senior year, you're straight A's and like a four, whatever the equivalent of a 4.0 GPA, like a perfect GPA is, your mother and I are going to give you a brand new car. Each of you are going to get a brand new car for that. That's an arbitrary reward because it has nothing to do with the, proce- the educational process. It's, it's, it's like arbitrary. It's like just something else you throw in there. It, it doesn't follow in line. It's like apples and oranges. It's not, it doesn't naturally follow that. If you work really hard, you get straight A's, then you get a car. Well, how does that make sense? It's not like it's like one plus one equals three. Like it, it doesn't, it's arbitrary. A proper reward would be if I went to them and said, girls, if you, if you work really hard, you get straight A's all the way through middle school and high school, you end up with a 4.0 GPA, you are more than likely to get a major scholarship or a full ride to probably just about any university that you want to go to. The scholarship is a proper reward because it, it's in line with what they were doing. It's, it's educationally focused. It naturally flows out. It's congruent with what they had been doing. The car doesn't fit, but the scholarship and more education does. This is the point that Jesus is trying to make in this first section of of chapter 6. When we give, our reward will be congruent or proper in relation to not just what we give, but why we give. So if you are giving 
to receive accolades from men, but trying to make it look like it's for God, then your reward is going to be proper with that type of gift. Meaning, it is going to begin and end right here, right now. What other people give you, the the attention they give you, is the end. That is paid in full. That is your reward. It's proper. You shouldn't expect, you shouldn't think that you're going to get some eternal reward for doing something that is right, but for the wrong reasons. That, That would be more arbitrary. Almsgiving was essentially giving a gift to a person in need, the poor of Jesus' day, it was kind of like, it was similar to giving to a food bank or like canned goods or food or or, or money or, um, you know, it's how they cared for their poor, right? It's how how they, they took care of them. Well, Jesus... Is, I think, and what I want us to see is, well, I think Jesus is using almsgiving as the illustration. The principle applies to all kinds of giving, right? Not just to almsgiving, not just to giving to the poor. It's true for almsgiving, but it's also true for tithing and gifting and all, all sorts of, of, of giving. When you give on Sunday mornings, often we challenge you to persist. Process not just what you're giving, but why you're giving. In fact, sometimes we will even go as far to say, like, if you haven't come prepared to give anything this morning, just don't give anything. That's okay. It's okay. Like, don't you should not feel guilty about just passing the basket down, like, and not putting anything in. We we want you to to really come prepared to give and give intentionally, because. Because your, your heart determines why you give what you give. And as your shepherd, as your pastor, I'm not just looking to get money out of you. Like, sometimes to like a fault, I don't care about money. Like, I, I just um, don't worry. Like, I'm not like in major debt. And like, I'm not, it's not but like, I'm not consumed, but like, I just... It's not a big priority for me. I like it when I have it. I like to spend it, but it's not like all consuming and I like to give it away. Like and so it's not it's not a big thing for me. I'm I'm not here to get your money. What I really want for you is for you to give Jesus your heart. I the last thing that I want is for you to come in here on Sunday morning and give him your money and think that's everything you need to give him. And think that if you give him your money or you just coldly sing songs or you sit here and you just like uh, bump on a log just kind of like with glazed over look on your face just like kind of mindlessly listen as I talk. Like... That's the last thing I want. Because there's no, re- there's no eternal reward in that. And as your shepherd, I desperately care for you. But not just that you're happy and healthy and wealthy here. Like I care for your spirits and our eternities. So that's why we say, like, if you haven't come prepared to give, don't give anything. That doesn't mean don't every week come in not prepared to give anything. Because that's not healthy either, right? 
Because that's part of our spirituality. But it's part of our faith. But in the moment, if you haven't, then you need to take the next week to get your heart prepared so that you can come in and not just give money, but you can have a heart that's giving properly. And in that, you will, have, you will be offering God worship that He deserves, and you will position yourself to re- receive not just like temporal blessing, but eternal blessings from Him. Your heart determines why and how you do what you do. And the how is just as important as what. I am... So, sometimes I am... I get really caught up, I'm just going to be honest, transparent with you, I get really caught up on what I'm going to get for loving and serving God. You think as a pastor, like I'd, I'd kind of be like over myself and be just really selfless and humble and I am sometimes, I mean I have my moments, but like I, there are times where I get caught up on like what's in this for me, right? And I think if you're to be honest, like you do too. I mean, I. that's just kind of like the tendency of our fallen nature uh, is to look at ourselves and consider what are we getting out of the deal. You know, we, we do that as a church, right? Like we give, we're, we're, if you don't know, we're a Southern Baptist church. It's kind of crazy in the Northeast, right? Southern Baptist church. Here, but like, there aren't many of us. Um, but we're a Southern Baptist church. As part of the Southern Baptist church, we give money to like what we call the cooperative program. And if you don't know, the cooperative program is this kind of, it's pretty cool. It's this um, program by which we give some of our money. We actually give about 5% to the cooperative program every year. And they take the money and they distribute it to um, the IMB, which is our International Missions Board, IMB. And they support missionaries overseas. So by that, some of that 5% that we give goes to support missionaries carrying the gospel to the far reaches of this world. And then some of, the, some of it also goes to NAM, N-A-M-B, the North American Missions Board. And North, that, that's the arm of Southern Baptist Life that does missions in North America. It's given it like its name. So here in Canada, and, and they support church planners and missionaries here in North America so that the gospel can be taken to different parts of, of North America. We also give 5% to the the South Central Baptist Association. That's a local grouping of Southern Baptist churches. Um, it's six counties right around us here. And they support the local churches. Um, so when churches are in transition, when they lose a pastor, or there's you know some struggles kind of going on in the church, um, they can help the church to kind of process some of those things, work through those things. Um, they came last week, and they actually helped us do a QuickBooks training for our accounting software, which was great. Um, and so they, they do some work there. But... Sometimes when we're, especially at a small church like ours, when we're looking at our budget and um, we see that 10% of our money is going outside of here, and we don't see a whole lot of like return on that money. We kind of say, like, what's the point? Why am I doing this? Like, as a church, we fall into that place of like, what's in this for me? Like, what am I getting out of this? Just like I do, oftentimes personally, 
I want to get something out of what I do. I want somebody to recognize the good things I do. I want, I want to get something. So we do it individually, we do it corporately. But it is that mindset is antithetical to what Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 6. It's here, it's not about us. It's not about what you get. It's not at all about that. And it's you're giving to somebody, but it's really not even about what they're getting. It's about the heart that is motivating the gift. Why do I do what I do as a pastor? It's not for the money. I appreciate the money that you support us with. We are so grateful. Dottie and I are incredibly grateful for that. But I am not doing it for the money. And now somebody's going to like try to test that next budgeting calendar year, right? Like, okay, nothing for John because he doesn't do it for the money. Um, test it. We'll see how it goes. But I, I don't do this. For, I, I generally, I'll show you. I don't do this for the money. Um, I, uh, I do it because I, and I, I really don't even do it because I love you. I do. I deeply love each of you. But I, I really do it because it is what God has called me to do, and I love him. And um, I told somebody the other day, I'm not sure that I've told most of you this, um, hear me out like the whole way through before you start like jumping to conclusions about what I'm saying. When I was offered, basically I went through a series of interviews with, your search, with the search team here, and I got to the last interview, and we were in there, and I, said, I didn't know where we were in the process. And I said, so just, could you just fill me in where we are in the process? And Bill said, well, you're our guy. Like, it's this, you, we're the guy that we, we feel God is calling you to be here to serve us. And I said, okay, and we talked a few other things, and then Patty McCorkle looked at me from across the room, and I'll never forget it, and she said, John, you don't look like you want to be here. And I stopped for a minute and I said, well, it was like one of those DTRs, like defining the relationship moments, like, you know, and I said, well, I think you like me more than I like you. <laughs> I, what I said was, I just, I'm not, I'm not where you are. I'm not totally sure that God wants me here. And to the search team's credit, they didn't get freaked out. They didn't, they weren't like, well, maybe you're right. And they just said, well, actually, we still believe it. So let's talk a bit to see if we can all get on the same page. And we did that. And um, But even after that, what, what happened was, I, um, I actually, I'm not sure if I told him, <laughs> I still didn't want to do it, but I knew God wanted me to do it. That God wanted me here. And Dottie and I have always said, what is more important to us than being happy is being obedient. So we'd always rather be more obedient than we are happy. Because, and what often ends up happening is once we're obedient, our happiness, there's a lag sometimes, but it generally catches up. Because there is great joy in being obedient to God. And so I, um, I had actually, the last church I led, we led them through a transition. They were about the same size as us, maybe a little bit smaller when we started there. And we led them through a period of transition. And to God, God did it through us, really. And pulled them out on the other side in a really healthy church. But that's a hard process. 
It's a really hard process for the church and for the leader. And so I kind of knew what I was getting into. Guys, we're, we're, what is ahead of us is a hard process. There's going to be, some of us are going to step on each other's toes. We're going to hurt each other's feelings. Things are going to go this way sometimes when we think they should go this way. And we're going to get in disagreements. It's going to be a hard process. I knew that. People aren't always going to like me. You, aren't, you might like me now, but in a year, I promise you, some of you are not going to like me as much. I promise you that. But I said yes, because at the end of the day, it wasn't about how much I love you, and it isn't about what I want. It's about what God wants. And what I'm finding now is that my heart is catching up with my obedience. Right? I'm actually having a great time. It's been really good. There's still some hard things ahead. We're going to get through them. We're going to weather them. And I'll tell you this right now. I should have told you this before. There are one of three ways that I am going to leave this church. You're going to fire me, which is possible. I hope it doesn't happen, but it's possible. I'm going to die, which I hope doesn't happen too soon. Um, or God will very clearly call us somewhere else. But I am not going to leave because you're mean to me. I'm not going to leave because I want a bigger church that pays me more money. I'm not going to leave because I want something easier. I am on this ship with you, whether it sinks or it sails. I'm believing it's going to sail. But even if it sinks, I'm not going anywhere. But not because I love you. I do. But it's because I love my God. And when we give to the cooperative program, to the IMB and the North American Mission Board and the South Central Baptist Association, we give not because we love them or not because what they give us. It's not about what we get from them. It's because we are called to be in this together as a people, as, as the body of Christ. And we are to support each other, not just our local congregation, but all the churches all over the world. And so it's our, our calling from God to give like that. It's not about what we get out of it. It's about how much we love Him. I'm here because I love Him. Hopefully you're here because you love Him, not because you like the way I preach or how I take care of your kids in youth group. Certainly not how good-looking I am. <laughs> like, it's, it's like, hopefully you're not here because of that. You're here because God wants you here. That's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. You can do the right things. You can come to this church. We can give to the cooperative program. I can get up here and preach every Sunday. But if our hearts are not engaged, we're not doing it for the right reasons. It has very little reward associated with it. And the reward is proper. It's congruent with what we do. If we're doing it for attention, that's all we will get, and our receipt is paid in full. If, if we're trying to grow our church so we get more bodies in here and we can give more money to the North American Mission Board and to the International Mission Board and other missionaries and other churches can look at us and say, look at all the good things Living Legacy is doing. Our reward is paid in full. But if we're doing all these things Because we want to be obedient to our God. 
because we love our God and want to serve Him. Sometimes our reward then won't be here. We will sometimes do things that no one will see and we will get no recognition from or for. But our reward is not yet paid in full. Um, I have no idea where I am on my notes. So... <laughs> I um, when we um, when we're sa- saved from our, our sin, from eternal death, and are given new life in Christ, our eyes are opened, and much like happened for Paul in Acts chapter nine, when he was saved and um, had laid, hands laid on him, these things like scales, it says, fell from his eyes, and he could see again. And um, our when we are saved and we are in Christ, our spiritual blindness, kind of like Paul's, is taken away and we're able to see the beauty and majesty and wonder of our God. We are overwhelmed with His goodness, His mercy, His grace, His love. And while we can't comprehend His goodness fully, we see enough of it that makes us long for the day when we will, and when we will not only see Him fully, but we will dwell with Him completely. He is the source of life and all goodness flows from Him. Being with God without the shackles of sin to inhibit any of His goodness from coming to us will be the best reward of all. I think we miss that sometimes. Sometimes sometimes we want the things of God more than we want God Himself. But if we give our hearts to Him, if our heart's desire is to serve Him and, and love our great God, it may not result in immediate blessing, in, in immediate reward, or a tangible blessing. It, it may. Sometimes He may do that for you, but not always. But it offers something much better. Reward from our Heavenly Father that will last throughout all eternity. Um, maybe I can somewhat close here. Uh, I mentioned that sometimes all of us fall into this, but, um, well, maybe I didn't mention this. Sometimes I'm afraid that God is going to miss something I do. I'm so focused on other people recognizing what I do and that immediate kind of response. And, um, and I fear that because God, I don't see God like in bodily form like I see you and I don't always experience Him the way I experience you, that sometimes I'm afraid that He's going to miss something that I do. Like some good work that I do. And because of that, I won't get credit for it. And I'm, I'm just being honest. I had the privilege of watching our niece and nephew the other day, and they are a handful. They are awesome. They are a handful, right? But little Sarah, she's bouncing all over the place, and I'm holding Noah. He's an infant. He put him down, and he cries. So I'm holding Noah, and I'm watching Sarah's all over the place. And several times she's like, Uncle John, Uncle John, watch what I'm doing. Uncle John, watch me doing cartwheels. I'm like, no, don't do cartwheels in the house. 
you know, and she's doing cartwheels, and Uncle John, watch me play with my doll, and I'm like, okay, and Uncle John, watch me do this, Uncle John, watch me do that, and Noah's crying, and I'm trying to keep everything together, but I'm missing, like, most of what she's doing. But she desperately wants me to see everything she's doing, desperately wants me to watch her all the time. And, um, I didn't, the thing is, I didn't want to miss anything she was doing. I wanted to see everything she was doing, but I'm, I'm just me. I can't. God doesn't miss anything. God can be holding a crying baby and have a three-year-old going crazy in the room doing, all over the house doing everything and see all that that's happening, see what's happening at the baby, can see what my wife is doing at work 30 minutes away, see what you're doing in your home or your office or your community all at the same time and not miss a single thing. There are no overlooked accomplishments when it comes to the Lord. And you know what? I don't even, as I've been processing this, I don't even think it's necessarily wrong to want recognition for the good things we do. I think the problem is we look for it in the wrong places. This makes me think of the church I grew up in. Um, it was a, a United Methodist Church. It was a beautiful building. One of those gray stone, I guess maybe limestone buildings. Like It was amazing. It was just so pretty. And I remember um, as a kid, we would come into the sanctuary and the pastor would go up and we had one of those high pulpits. Like It was raised up, you know, and he was up in the pulpit and he would preach and and I would love to say I just absorbed everything he said, but I was just like bored out of my mind. <laughs> And so I didn't pay attention to it at all, which is not an excuse for any of you. <laughs> but like, I didn't pay attention at all, but it had these beautiful stained glass windows on either side of the sanctuary, going the whole way down, and one way up in the front behind him. And they were amazingly beautiful, but they also told a Bible story. Each one told a story. Like one with the woman at the well, one with the feet, like Jesus fed thousands, like all these different Bible stories. They had a little bit of scripture in each one. I would just sit there and I would learn and just be in awe of how beautiful they were. If you were sitting close enough, like on the edge of the row, you could look over and on the sill of each one of those amazing windows, there was a little brass plaque. And each one said, presented by, and it had the person's name who paid the money to put the window in the church. I, um, when I read the verses in Matthew chapter 6 that we're looking at today, I think of those windows because they speak the same principle. Recognition, praise, honor from men for something good and noble that has been done. You know, I enjoyed those windows, and I really think I actually grew spiritually from those windows. They affected me in a positive way, even though perhaps the person putting them there, and I don't know for sure, but there's a possibility that they didn't put them there for such noble reasons. Your gift, your service, may do great things for others in this world. They may even bring praise to God. 
But if it's in spite of your heart and not because of your heart, you will be losing out. Others may be blessed through it. God has an amazing way of doing that. But you may not be. Our giving should follow the pattern Jesus gave us in Matthew 22. To first love God with everything we are and then to love people. And the pattern that God gave us through Paul in 2 Corinthians 8.5, he said, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. As you're hearing all this, you might say to yourself, that's impossible. I can't do that. I can't give with that kind of purity, with that, that heart. Part of me always wants that recognition. Part of me always wants the attention. I just, I, I can't. I can't possibly do that. And you're right. You are absolutely right. You can't. It doesn't matter how much will you muster, how much strength you have, how much discipline or determination is inside of you. You cannot do this on your own. There's a story in Mark chapter 9. and I'm... Yes, and I'm really going to close with this one. It highlights what I'm trying to say. He says, it says, when they came to, came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd and around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Uh, what, what are you arguing with them about, he asked. And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought um, you my son, who is possessed by a spirit and has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus responds, You unbelieving generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you could do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responds, if, If you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, and help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. The point is this. Everything is impossible for you. but everything is possible with God. And when you're at the point where you want to please God, but you know that you can't do it on your own, you want to give in such a way that it is all about Him, 
and has nothing to do with you, but you know that you are powerless to make that happen, one of the best things we can do is say, I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. And pursue what you are doing in prayer. Because it's in prayer that we humble ourselves and say, I can't do this. But God, I know you can. As your shepherd, I want for us to do things for God's glory. I want us to give for God's glory and not our own. I want to help. I want to teach the word in such a way that you can manage it, that you can handle it, that it will impact your life, that you can understand it, and that you can then apply it. It's not enough just to hear this and walk away as though it didn't happen. So, but I can't do that on my own. That is only something God can do. So I guess where I'd like to end today is here. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, and we're at the end of our service, so we're going to sing one more song. I think it's a long one, but they're probably going to shorten it, which is great. Um, But given the fact that we are being asked to do something we can't do, I thought it would be appropriate to end in prayer. And um, again, this principle applies not just to almsgiving, but it applies to the whole of our Christian life. So if you want to like, if you want to worship more authentically, you want to worship in a way that would bring God more glory. You want to give more properly. You you want to serve better, like in a way that would bring God more glory and less to yourself. The best thing you can do is humble yourself before God and ask Him to do in you what you can't do in yourself. To change your heart, to to pull out the sin, and to free you for joyful obedience. So we're gonna I'm gonna ask you guys to start playing. Um,